So peace on earth, right? Um, and mercy mild, the words of Hark the Herald Angel Sing have so much meaning. If you have your Bibles, if you have a phone app, turn to Luke 2. It's my favorite version of the Christmas story. have been using it all month long. Um, there are four books in the New Testament. The New Testament starts off with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every one of those books give a different version of the story of Jesus. Um, some of them start at different times, um, but most of them are in a com- most of the events appear in more than one of the Gospels, but these four books are called the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke just happens to be the one that I enjoy the most for the Christmas story. We read Luke chapter 2 every single Christmas morning, um, and, and it's become a family tradition for us. And we have been reading this section of Luke 2, uh, particularly 10, 11, and 12, and we're going to expand that a little bit to today um, as we talk about this Prince of Peace that is mentioned in the song that we sang a little earlier. So Luke 2, verses 10 through 14 says this, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So you have good tidings of great joy for all people. And then you have peace and goodwill toward men. This coming from a righteous God. One of the most incredible stanzas of the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is this apparent dichotomy in Jesus, this, this opposing viewpoint. So you have, you have hail the heaven-born prince of peace, and then you have hail the son of righteousness. Both those titles are from the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, 6, and Malachi 4, 2. But you have Jesus being called the prince of peace and then the son of righteousness. Peace and righteousness. It seems like when you're talking about your relationship with God, it's difficult to be at peace with somebody who is so perfect when we are not. That's why this is such big news, a holy, righteous God offering peace to this world. How many times have you heard Miss America when asked what she would wish for? I would like to have world peace, right? That seems to be this thing that people think is very important because it speaks to the soul of who we are is to be at peace. Now, we speak often relationally when we think about being at peace with each other. But this is what God is promising, peace, goodwill toward men. We could all use some peace. The word Peace, if you go back to the original version of the New Testament, which was written in Greek 2,000 years ago, it was translated into English. If you go back to the original Greek and look what the word was that they used for the word peace, it's the word, you probably heard this, shalom. Shalom is the word. So, so shalom, right, to everybody. That's what God is looking to give us. It means rest or tranquility. I love this. It means wholeness or completeness. 
But in a relational sense, here's, here's a simple definition of peace. It's oneness. Oneness. When you're looking at a relationship with somebody else, man, I want peace. So I want peace with God. God is offering me peace, <clears throat> oneness with him. So that's, that's half of the dichotomy that I mentioned earlier. Like, like you have this oneness it's like two pieces of a puzzle that are fit together. It doesn't mean that those pieces are identical. It just means that they fit together well. So you have two individuals involved in a relationship and they have the ability, maybe not always to see eye to eye, maybe not always to, to um, agree on everything, but there's a oneness there. That's the peace that we're looking for. And don't you want peace in your home? Don't you want peace in relationships? Don't you want peace with God. And then you have the other half of this apparent dichotomy. You have peace, this is the prince of peace, and then you have the son of righteousness. And what is righteousness? It's right living, it's 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 acting rightly, it's being right with God. I just said it this way, it's rightness. Righteousness is rightness. And when you think about being in relationship with somebody else, being right with somebody else, imagine if that somebody else is God. And so here's where I'm saying, like, like to think of having peace with God, who is righteous, it's hard to make sense out of that. Because how can we be right with somebody who is perfect? I don't know, ask my wife. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just, you know, just getting started. Um, it's, <laughs> I'm trying to recover. I'm looking at my notes. What was I going to say next? Because I'm a little scared right now. <laughs> right? So, but, but here's, here's where I'm going with that, right? So there is no oneness without rightness. There's no peace without Rightness, like we, it's hard. So you know what I'm talking about. Like you're sitting in the living room, the other person in the living room, you feel like there's something there that's not right. You're at odds with somebody. We aren't right with them. We feel disconnected. So here's how it plays out in the Replog household. You okay? That's kind of me dipping my toe in the water. That's me testing things. You okay? And then it's, yeah, I'm okay. You okay? I don't know. Are we okay? Please say yes. Because I have no clue. That's, that's how it goes, right? Um, so it's, but you feel that tension sometimes. Like, you know that that things are not right. You feel like there's something that maybe you didn't do that you were supposed to have done or something that you did that you didn't even know you did that you weren't supposed to have done. Help me here. Like I, you know, it's like you feel a little bit of that, that tension that you don't feel at one with that person because you're not right with that person. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but he's also the Son of Righteousness. So it's like, how can I be right with God in order to be able to have peace with God? And here, here's what God is offering the world here, right? 
Here's what he says in Luke. He's like, he's like, this is peace on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. That's what I am bringing. That's why, that's why he, the, the, the angels cried out, behold, like hark the herald angels sing. Right? The idea is that this is what God is offering to us is peace with him. We want peace. But let me just say this as a parenthesis. Oftentimes when we say we want peace, what we're really saying is I just want people to agree with me. Right? So like I want peace with that individual translated I wish they would get right with me and agree with what I am saying or what the issue is. And so here's what we do, right? So in order to be able to feel like we have peace, we just go to other people and get them to agree with us so then we feel better about our opinion on the issue. But we're not really at peace with the other individual. We're just getting people to agree with how right we are and I remember how that felt one time in my life when I was right about something. But that doesn't necessarily mean, and I cherish that moment, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I have any peace. It just means that I have found people that agree with me and now I feel, so we get, we start groups, right? We start, we start groups and now we all believe the same thing but we're really not at peace with anybody who disagrees with us. We are just reinforcing what we already believe to be true. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not the peace that God is offering. That's not what God is bringing in the world. He didn't say, good news is that everybody agrees with your opinion. He is saying, I'm offering you peace, oneness, True peace starts from the inside. It's this oneness, this rightness. So here's a, here's a statement. You can't have peace until you have peace within yourself. Peace does not come from getting somebody else to agree with your opinion. It starts on the inside, peace within yourself. That is not the same as being proven right or everybody agreeing with you. Because it's hard to have true peace with anyone unless you have peace within yourself. Because here's the, here's the truth, right? So many people, nobody in this room, I'm sure, but many people go through life and it just seems like conflict pops up in every relationship that you have. And you're wondering, how can that many people be wrong? Right? Like, I want, I want peace in my relationship, and here's what we are saying when we say that. That other person needs to change. They need to fix them so that we can have peace. I see it with married couples all the time. I see it in any type of relationship. Whenever we are complaining that the other person needs to change their behavior, we're missing the point. They may need to change the behavior, but whatever you're doing ain't working. Because you ain't changing their behavior by complaining about it. I'm saying at some point we need to have peace that comes from within. That's the ultimate, is to have peace within yourself. That's not necessarily dependent upon the other person agreeing 
with you. But, but honestly, so, so they say, like, when you carry a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Especially in a seven-year-old kid's hand. Right, give them a hammer. They want to, everything looks like a nail, right? That's how many of us are in our relationships. Like, like you just, you go around because you know you have no peace inside of you. And you need peace, and so you're just going around ruining relationships because you don't have any peace inside of you. But that's where it has to start. That peace that we are looking for, that's promised to us, starts within. And I'll say this, that this peace comes only from God. Peace on earth and mercy mild. I love this. God and sinners reconciled. We are, we're talking about genuine rest, tranquility of soul, completeness. This is a peace that the world can't give you. I don't care how many songs you listen to. I don't care how many cars you buy. I don't care what your house looks like. I don't care how soft your slippers are. What, I don't know where that came from. I, I don't, it, whatever you are trying to do to manufacture peace in your life, it's not coming from that. Only God can give the kind of peace that you're looking for on the inside. And here's the truth. So I don't know where, where you're coming from in your relationship with God or what, what, what religion experiences you've had. Religion is not what I'm talking about. Religion has done a lot to screw up peace on earth. I can tell you that. If you know anything about the history of, quote, unquote, the church, the church has been responsible for a lot of atrocities down through the years. I'm not talking about the church fixing our problem of peace. I'm talking about peace that comes from God that the world cannot give. It comes from the author of peace. I'll say this, that you cannot have the peace of God that we're looking for until you first have peace with God. That's where we're going here. Having peace with God. This moment in history, this, this birth that we celebrate is much more than a recorded event of history. This moment made peace with God possible for every one of us. God reaching down to man in the person of his own son to offer us peace, to offer you peace. What a gift. What a personalized gift for you. And I know it's easy to be cynical of what Christmas has become. And I know Jesus wasn't born in December. I know that, that so much of what we do, you can trace it back and it doesn't have very biblical roots and it's not what Jesus probably meant with a lot of this stuff. Let's just kind of like put that in a box and stick it on a shelf and just talk about you and the fact that Jesus came for you to give you peace. You're the, the message that was given. You're the recipient. Peace on earth, goodwill toward, and then you fill the blank in with your name. So here's what we're doing. We're going to go into Ephesians, that kind of brought us to this point, and then we're going to hit three things here, and then we'll be done. But I want to jump into Ephesians here, chapter 2, and we're not going to read all of the verses that I would like to just because it's just a lot of words on a screen. 
But you have Paul, is the author, writing to a church in Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. Paul wrote a third, uh, two-thirds of the New Testament. And there were always letters that he wrote to either a church or a group of churches or a geographic area or to individuals. And so he writes, and so many of his writings now have become what we know and believe and teach as what it means to be a Christian. And so you have these writings of Paul to the church at Ephesus talking about the peace that Jesus brings. And in this passage, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, you have the word peace mentioned three times. And that's become my outline. And so let's just jump into Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verse 13, which kind of gets us going in this text. And then we're going to create our outline from the text. It says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So the three times peace is mentioned is, is this first one, and that is that Jesus is our peace. And he says that in the very next verse, in verse 14, he says this, for he is our peace who has made both one. So Ephesians 2, 14, Paul is telling us that Jesus doesn't just know about it. Jesus is our peace. The text that I referenced earlier about the Prince of Peace is actually Isaiah 9, 6, where it gives four different names of our Savior. And Isaiah said this, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That was actually a name ascribed to him. In John chapter 14, Jesus is getting ready to go to heaven. Verse 27, he says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. If you remove Jesus from the equation, you remove the source of peace. What I love here, about so, so peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That's very personal. And what Paul said here, for he is our peace, not to get too geeky on you, but if you go back to like how it was originally written in Greek, where he said he is, the word is autos, spelled the same, we, we, we spell autos, A-U-T-O-S, but it has, it has, it's a personal pronoun. We look at it and just say he, it's a personal pronoun, right? He is a personal pronoun. And most of you, I just lost you. But if you just hang on just for a second, like give me 15 seconds. In the Greek, this is, this is an intensive pronoun. It's an intensive. What it means is that he and he only. That's what it means. So, so there's so many variations of he, of autos, that, it, that, that English doesn't really say it. Like, like you have to understand that when it says that he is our peace, what he's actually saying is Christ himself, he and no other is our peace. So not only did he just create peace for us, he is our peace it wasn't that he just died on the cross to make things right with God. He is peace. Christ is not merely a peacemaker, but the very peace itself that we are looking for. So here's a, a big, bold statement. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have peace. That's the big, bold statement. 
Like everything hinges on that right there. So when it says, he is our peace, if you remove him from the equation, you don't have peace. You might have compliance, you might have a truce, you might get along, but you don't have that peace on the inside that, that only comes from God. So Jesus is our peace. The second time peace is mentioned in our text is in verses 14 through 16, and we find out that Jesus has made peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, for he is our peace. We read that already. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, so making peace. So he has broken down this wall, and in doing that, has made peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. There are fewer groups in history more diametrically opposed to each other than Israelites and Gentiles. If you know much about the history of, of their culture, um, the Jews believe themselves to be God's chosen people and, and for good reason. They missed part of the, the equation, though, I think. And, and, and so even so they built a wall around the temple area. And Gentiles could not get in. And if you think about the fact that the temple is where God dwelt with his people, they built this wall saying the Gentiles cannot get in. And what, and what we see here, and this is the beauty of what Paul is saying, is that this peacemaker, this Jesus, has broken down the wall of partition it's no longer an issue. And so you who are far away can now be made near because Jesus is making peace for us. So the question is, if this, if this physical wall has been removed, if this, if this figurative wall has been removed, then what is keeping you apart? Like if Jesus has made peace, if he has taken down the wall the partition between you. The problem is not that God doesn't want you in. The problem is that you're standing on the outside, but there's no wall. And as you are invited in, what is keeping you apart? Romans 5, another book written by Paul, Romans 5, verse 1 says this, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace. <laughs> there it is, with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, he has broken down the wall. He has removed every excuse. In fact, Christ satisfied the righteousness of God in order to offer us peace with God. It's not a matter of you being good enough. It's not a matter of you being right enough because of your goodness. It's the fact that Jesus satisfied the righteousness of God in order to offer peace to us. That's why he's the son of righteousness and the prince of peace. So that we who are far can be brought close. So here's the progression. He is peace. He is our peace. He has made peace for us. And then the third time it's mentioned in Ephesians here is Jesus preaches peace to you. In verse 17, talking about Jesus, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. Here's the invitation. Here's, 
here's the invitation, the invitation of Jesus. Like he is preaching peace to you. It's like he has sent you an invitation and he's looking for the RSVP. It has your name on it. Jesus is sharing this good news with you. Here's the situation. We offended God. God made things right. Jesus accepted our guilt. And now he offers us himself so that we can be at peace with him. And now he announces to you, like this is the peace you've been looking for, the peace that you can't have without God. This is what he's offering to you. So what do we do with this? How can you lay hold of this? What are we to do with this information? Just two things very quickly here. Believe this message is for you. It's hard not to like this time of year. It really is pretty special. It's difficult for a lot of people. But I think we can all recognize, even, even if we can look at all the commercialism and everything it's become, that there is a specialness to this time of year. There's a beauty in it. There is a, there's truly like the spirit of Christmas. It's not easy to like this time of year. But there's so much more to all of this. And I would love this Christmas celebration to be more than a historical event for you. God and sinner reconciled. This personal invitation for you from God, it has to be personal. There are no grandfather clauses. Pardon the pun. See what I did there? You don't pay much, you don't get much, all right? There are no grandfather clauses. Everybody has to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There are only personal invitations. The wall has been removed. The invitation is there. You have to believe that that's for you. Believe this message is for you. And then second of all, communicate with the Father. So then what, Eric? I believe that he wants, I mean, that's, that's the declaration, right? That's what the angels are saying. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. I believe that he wants me to have peace on a personal level. So here's what's beautiful, right? So the wall has been broken down. The invitation is over. There's no barriers. It's up to you. The invitation has been given. We have access to God. So you need to communicate with him. If today you want to make him king in your life, you want to accept this peace, you can start the conversation. My moment when that happened was when I was nine years old. My dad was in the military. We were stationed in Fort McClellan in Anniston, Alabama. He had come home from work that day, and we were sitting around the kitchen table eating. And he mentioned to my mom that this coworker of his had invited him to go to a service that night held in a tent in the Kmart parking lot. And it intrigued me, right? And he told my mom, I'm planning to go. I said, between bites, can I go? And my dad said, sure. And then my sister said, well, I want to go too. So my dad took my sister, my older sister and I, to this, what they now 
I know the call. They're called camp meetings. And it was an old tent camp meeting. And I remember pulling into the, the, the Kmart parking lot and there's this huge white tent set up with, white, with red stripes on it. And I walk in and they had these chairs set up that, that were the old wooden slats, the old wood slat chairs. They had those all set up and it was a huge tent. And we sat mostly to the back. My dad was on the inside aisle. I was next and then my sister. The gentleman who was preaching is a guy by the name of Lee Castro. And I don't remember much about it. I remember they were singing. And then he got up and he seemed angry. Like, and he scared me. Like, so the message that he gave was, was fearful to me as a nine-year-old boy. And I think there's probably different ways to get someone to start a relationship with God. But he scared me the hell out of me. Like it was, the only reason I tell that story is because there's very few chances that a pastor ever gets to cuss. And so that, that gives me that opportunity. I also like the King James because it says jackass all the time. But read your Bible. It's in there, okay? So I'm, I'm sitting there going, I do not want to go to hell. So and, I, and, and again, I mean, I, I love the love of God and it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But for me, a nine-year-old boy, that worked. So then he has us all bow our heads and he's praying and he makes this statement, something to this effect, that if you want to make this personal, if you feel like you want to accept Jesus, I need you to stand. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I'm... I need to stand, but my dad's right here, and I just don't know what he would say if I stood. And as I'm in the middle of that thought process as a nine-year-old boy, my older sister stood up, and I looked, I'm going, well, she's going to get in trouble, I'm going to get in trouble, we'll both get in trouble. And I stood up, and then he said, now that you're standing, I need you to come forward and we want to have a conversation with you. And I walked forward and somebody took my hand, led me over. And they had slat chairs over there on the side. And I remember kneeling down and he took a, a little New Testament and shared me some verses. And they led me in a prayer. But I'll tell you this. I think I believed in Jesus when I stood up. I don't think it was the prayer. My moment when I accepted Christ I believe, was when I stood up. And I didn't understand everything I was doing. I didn't get it all. But I began the conversation with God at that moment. And God responded. The wall's been broken down. The peace is being offered. You can accept it. You can reject it. But you can't argue with it. Like God is offering you peace. And my, my mission in life is to take as many people to heaven with me as I can, right? And that invitation is for you. And you need that moment and it starts when you begin a conversation with your father. When we cry out to him, in response to his invitation, he invites us in to communicate with him, 
to unload all of our burdens and all the pressures of life and begin a life with him. In just a moment, we're going to pray. We're going to sing another song. There's going to be a few things happen. At the end of the service, when we're dismissed, there's going to be a couple folks up front that would love to have a conversation with you. And if this is you and you need this this morning, don't go that way. Come this way and have a conversation and begin that relationship with the Lord and and invite that peace into your life by beginning your relationship with God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. Thank you for the peace that you are, that you have made. Thank you for all that you are and the love that you have for us. And I pray, God, that this would be a life-changing moment for many and help us to look at this celebration of the birth of Christ as a beginning of our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.